Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. If you could do that, we would certainly appreciate it. And I'd like to call to your attention a few announcements that we have, uh, some some opportunities we have coming up. Uh, beginning this afternoon, it's going to be a busy day today. We are going to be uh, hosting a, a candlelight Christmas this afternoon. This is a joint effort between us and First Christian Church and St. Paul's Episcopal Church. We are, have joined our choirs together, and I've gotten a little sneak peek of it, and I'll tell you what, it is impressive. It really is. So uh, we invite you to come and be a part of that this afternoon at 5 o'clock. Uh, you will, you will uh, be blessed by, by the experience of being here. I'm, I promise you that. Then we will be having a reception afterwards, uh, so be sure to stay uh, for that. We'll be eating afterwards. We do that a lot around here, and that's a good thing. And uh, uh, but, but with that in mind, any, if anybody's able to hang around for a little bit after the service, we could use some help setting up the tables and getting ready for the reception this evening. If you could do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, also, our upperclassmen will be uh, meeting on December the 18th, having our potluck dinner on the 18th. And uh, we invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, we'll be sharing some Christmas memories and singing Christmas carols. And so uh, put that that on your calendar. And also, Christmas Eve is only two weeks away. It's two weeks from today. I, I can hardly believe that, but it's two weeks from today. And I want to uh, just touch on that just a little bit. Since Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, we're going to be changing our Sunday morning schedule just a little bit. We will not be having Sunday school on Sunday morning. However, we will be here for Sunday morning. We'll be uh, sharing a fellowship breakfast uh, during that Sunday school hour at 9.30 on Sunday morning on uh, Christmas Eve. And then we'll have worship service at our regular uh, regular time. And then, of course, our Christmas Eve service, our traditional Christmas Eve service that evening at 5 o'clock. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. That's, that's one of my favorite times of the year one of my favorite services, and so uh, we will look forward to that. So just put that on your calendar and think about that, and, uh, and, and it's good to share this time with you. So let me invite you now to stand. Huh? No. <laughs> How does it feel to have a teenager as a pastor? We don't know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I'm so grateful for each of you, so thank you so much. Let's stand and greet each other, and let's share a, uh, the Christmas love with one another as we greet each other in the name of God.
the second Sunday of Advent, and the theme is Preparation of Peace. The scripture is Isaiah 43 through 5. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Today we relight the candle of hope and expectation. Let this candle remind us of the great hope we have in Christ the Messiah and in God's promises. As we light the second candle, the candle of preparation and peace, let it remind us to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. Please pray with me. Father, guide us in confession of our sins. We know that in the greatness of your love, you have promised to forgive us. Cleanse us as we prepare our lives for the coming of Jesus again. This we ask in his blessed name. Amen.
everybody. Whoa, okay. Lots of babies. And big boys. Sorry. You're not babies, are you? You know what? Let's stand up. Everybody stand up. Let's come over here. That would be easier. Everybody just come over here. Why? Where do you think you're going? Come here. Oh, that's right. Come on, everybody. Come on, Everett. Stand right there in front. You know what? I am so excited because Miss Christine asked me to do this because I get to talk about white and gold. Look at those smiling faces, Miss Kim. You're going to need some help up there today. I know you do. All right. First of all, raise your ornaments up. Raise them all up just one time. Raise them up. Good job, Everett. You want to turn it around so we can see it? There you go. All right. There is something that every ornament has in common. Hmm, they're different shapes, but there's one thing that every ornament has. Anybody want to tell me what it is? Yes, sir. Do you know? What color are they? Every single ornament, what color are they? What? And? They're golden white. Kenley, I need you. Come here. Kenley. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, you know what? Christmas is all about all kinds of glittery stuff and red and green. And if if you come to John and I's house, you'll see one tree. I like to put lots of trees. But we have a little tree, and it's done in nothing but white and gold. Any idea why? Come on, you guys. White and gold, it stands for purity. I'm going to talk about that in a second. All right, remember last Sunday we discussed what a chrismon was, and that's what you have, chrismon. Remember what it meant? Some of you were here, some of you weren't. Chrismon. Monogram. A monogram. Okay? A monogram. So we see that these are all white and gold. And white shows the Lord's purity and perfection. God shows his majesty and glory. So when we put white and gold on there, we need to think about God. What does white mean? The Lord's perfection and purity. And gold shows his majesty and his glory. So we're going to hang some more chrismons on our tree. And the ones we're hanging today, now put them all down. If you have a crown, raise your crowns. All right, there's the pretty crowns. I love them. What do you guys think crowns mean? Crown. Think of God. Think of baby Jesus. Crown. It represents that Jesus was a king. It's also the symbol of royal authority and power. God sent Jesus as king of the Jews as well as Christ. He's king of kings. All right. Now, if you have a staff, what's a staff? Zoe, what is a staff? That doesn't look like, you know, I think of staff as like Miss Sharon. She's staff with the school corporation. That's a staff. What's that mean? Anybody know? Staff? That's what these are called. Staffs. Wyatt, do you know what a staff is? What is it? Huh? I'm sorry? Okay. <laughs> How about I just read it? 
Why don't I ask somebody to have a staff? All right, this is a shepherd's crook. Because Jesus sometimes referred to himself as the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So this, remember how they used to draw the sheep in? They might put this around the sheep's neck and pull them in. Okay, that's a staff. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and that's what Jesus did for us. He leads and guides us with love and devotion. All right, and last but not least, what's the other ornament we have today? Uh, what is it, ever? It's a hot. It's a hot. It's a hot. Everett, what's a heart remind you of? Love. Oh. Christine, are you crying? That's it. Chris, Christine, that's your grandson. Everett, say it again. Love. A heart reminds you of love. This is not scripted, I tell you. We have the heart. This reminds us of the love that God has for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You guys ready to hang your Christmas today? All right, here comes some music so you can hang them.
Father God, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you have established us as your children. We come before you with all that we have, with our joys, our sorrows, our struggles, and we find our hope in you. We take this time to give back a tithe, the first fruits of everything that we have. And we praise your name that you would continue to use us in your kingdom. Amen. Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries out, And I said, what shall I cry? 
Cry out, he said. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flowers fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God.
I don't know about you. Hey, have you ever have you noticed that this time of the year the music just sounds better? You know, this thank you Felicia. Thank you Jika. Thank you choir. And, and and there's something about Christmas time. I don't know if it's the music or just the spirit, but it just sounds better. And that's why I'm looking so much forward to this afternoon and Christmas Eve and the music that we share together. So that's a little aside. It has nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> but I, I read a story not too long ago, a story that came across my desk that uh, was about a man who worked for the post office. It was his job to process all of the mail that had illegible addresses or was non-deliverable. And so one day, a letter came to his desk with very shaky handwriting on it, and it was, the letter was addressed to God. So he thought he ought to open it up and see what it was about, so he opened the letter and, and read these words. Dear God, I'm a 93-year-old widow living on a very small pension. Yesterday, someone stole my purse. It had $100 in it, which was all of the money I had until my next pension check. Next Sunday is Christmas, and I had invited two of my friends over for dinner. Without that money, I have nothing to buy food with. I have no family to turn to, and you are my only hope. Can you please help me? Sincerely, Edna. Well, the postal worker was touched by this, and so he showed the letter to his fellow workers there at the post office. And each of them were also touched by this and dug into their wallets and came up with a a few dollars each. And in short order, they had collected $94, or $96 rather, and, and they put it into an envelope and sent it off to this dear old widow. And all of the rest of the day, these postal workers felt a warm glow for the good that they had done for this dear lady. Well, Christmas came and went, and then a few days later, another letter came from the old lady addressed to God, and and all the workers gathered around wondering what this letter would hold, and they opened the letter, and this is what it said, Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you did for me? Because of your gift of love, I was able to fix a glorious dinner for my friends. We had a nice day, and I told my friends about your wonderful gift. And by the way, there was $4 missing. I think it must have been those thieves down at the post office. (laughs) Sincerely, Edna. The point is, no good deed goes unpunished, right? At least they tried. And helping others is what life is all about, isn't it? Which brings us to this, one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. We read these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been forgiven, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice, a voice of one calling, 
in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places made plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Then later in that same passage, Isaiah writes, You who bring good news to Zion, go up. Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid, says to the towns of Judah. Here is your God. What wonderful words for the second Sunday of Advent. Comfort my people. So what precipitated these words of comfort for the Israelites? Well, in 587 B.C., the city of Jerusalem, the temple that they loved, the Jewish armies had been devastated and destroyed by Babylon. Tens of thousands of Israel's best citizens were marched off to be in exile in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And many of those who were left behind in Israel were thrown into prison. Well, in the course of time, the exiles that had been marched off to Babylon, Babylon, they... They married, they built homes, they had children, they settled into their new land the best that they could. They thought to themselves that they might as well accept Babylon as their new home. The prophet, I, uh, the prophet Jeremiah had told them that they would be there for at least 70 years. And so they did the best that they could in their new surroundings. Yet still, they were away from home. They were away from the temple. They were away from everything that gave them a sense of identity. And so these were years of of longing for them. These were years of mourning for what had been. And to make matters even worse, the prophets made it clear to to them that the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon was not because of Babylon's great strength, but instead it was... A punishment for their wickedness. So that's the context in which Isaiah comes with this much welcomed message. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has now been completed. Her sin has been paid for. Many of you will probably be exposed to the music of Messiah over the next few weeks. I mentioned before Christmas time is a time of beautiful music and Messiah is, is among the most beautiful music of them all. And, and we hear portions of it often during this Christmas season. Perhaps you know the, the history behind this beautiful piece of music. In the summer of 1741... Over the the course of only 24 days, George Friedrich Handel 
composed the music for Messiah with the lyrics coming mostly from the King James Version of the Bible and the, and the uh, Anglican Book of Common Prayer. But here's what's important to us. The very first words that are sung in Messiah are taken directly from this passage of Scripture that we've been reading today. The tenor soloist sets the mood, the mood for the whole, the whole piece of, of music there as he sings, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. That was good news for the Jewish people who at at this time were feeling pretty God-forsaken. Their identity had been stripped away. They had been marched off to another land. And they felt like God had forsaken to them, been forsaken. And Isaiah comes with these words of comfort. But listen to this, my friends. God had not forsaken them at all. In fact, Isaiah says to them in these words, God has forgiven their sins and God has reclaimed them as God's people. And what good news that was for them. And what good news that is for all of us who seek to be God's people today. Evangelist Louis Palau tells about a woman named Maria Benitez Perez who confronted him one day in his office in Argentina. It seems that Maria had made an, an appointment under false t- pretenses. He, she claimed to, that she wanted to have an interview for a job, and that's why she came to the office. But as soon as she entered into his office, Maria made her intent clear. You see, she was the secretary for the Communist Party of Ecuador. And she had, had denounced everything that there was to do with God or with, with Christ or anything religious at all. And her bitterness overwhelmed him. But Palau listened respectfully to her and, re- and replied gently to everything that Maria said. And soon as, as Malau listened patiently and with much love and concern, Maria began to tell him her life story. It was a tale of much pain. It was a tale of suffering and sin. And she, she ended it all with one question. She said, supposing there is a God, would He accept a woman like me? And Palau did not hesitate. He turned in his Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, and he read these words to Maria. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Well, Maria tried to explain once again all of the sins that she had committed, but Palau countered again with Hebrews 10, verse 17. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And 17 times Maria tried to explain to him why she was unworthy to receive forgiveness from God. And 17 times Palau repeated these same words to her. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And finally, Maria Benitez Perez, the secretary of the Communist Party in Ecuador, bowed her head 
and gave her life to Jesus. Maria Benitez Perez was comforted by these words from the book of Hebrews, just as the people of Israel were comforted by these words from from Isaiah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and her sin has been paid for. Of course, this joyous message is not only for Maria and for the people of Israel, is it? It's for all of us who have ever fallen short of the glory of God. It's for all of us. Life Anderson tells about an experience from his teenage years. I look back on my teenage years and this could have been me. He he said it was a, a Sunday afternoon. His father had purchased a, a beautiful new red Chevrolet convertible. Man, he was proud of that car. It was a beautiful, beautiful car. Life, he had a beat up old Volkswagen bug. But one day, his dad let Lyth drive his new convertible over to a friend's house. And Lyth took a, a, a twisting, rock-lined road, back road, to his friend's house. And the speed limit along there was 45 miles an hour. But a friend told Lyth that it was impossible to go 45 miles an hour and keep that speed and stay in the right lane there. And, but, but, but Lyth, when he said that, he kind of took that as a challenge. He thought he could do it. Well, he was wrong. He's going around a curve and he crossed over the center line just when another car was coming up the mountain and, and life took out the side of that car from headlight to taillight and he smashed up the front of his father's car so badly that it couldn't be driven. The police came. Life called home. His father came driving up in his beat-up old Volkswagen. He told Life to go on to his friend's house in the Volkswagen. He would deal with the police and, and, and with the car. And, and get this. Life says that his father never mentioned it again. He never mentioned it to him again. Years later, Life found out that his father's insurance had doubled for the next three years because of that accident. His father never asked for that money. He never told him the cost. And life was grateful. In fact, he says that he's still grateful. But this event had an enormous impact on life's life. You see, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. Maybe we didn't wreck our dad's new convertible, but we've all sinned, haven't we? And all of us have, have needed for... Forgiveness in our lives some, at some times, haven't we? We've all done that. In fact, I, I'm relatively sure that there's someone in this room today for whom the greatest comfort that I could give to you would be to utter these three simple words. You are forgiven. These are God's words for you this morning, regardless of what you've done in your past. You are forgiven. No wonder 
These are words of comfort. But please be aware that God didn't forgive Israel because they deserved to be forgiven. And God didn't forgive Israel because God didn't take their sinfulness seriously. No, that's not it at all. God forgave them purely and simply because God loved them. And the same thing could be said about Lyth Anderson and his dad. I'm sure his dad was pretty attached to that little red Chevrolet convertible. And I'm sure that there was a part of Lyth's dad that wanted to give his son a good thrashing. (laughs) But he knew that Lyth felt bad enough as it was. And he knew that what his son really needed more than anything else at that point was to be reassured of his father's love for him. And folks, when a parent can give that kind of love, they are reflecting the nature of God. Rachel Naomi Riemann is a clinical professor of family and community medicine at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. She's especially uh, known for her work with cancer patients, and she's also a fantastic writer. In her book titled Kitchen Table Wisdom, she tells about an event that changed her life forever. She says that in the beginning of December, when she was 13 years old, her father declared bankruptcy, and this devastated all of the family. Just before Christmas. And of course the result was that the family that year made homemade Christmas presents for one another instead of exchanging store-bought gifts. And so Rachel knit a scarf for his um, for her father and, and using a copper wire she, she made a, a bracelet for her mom. But in spite of their, their financial situation, Raymond says that that Christmas morning was just as lively as ever. And, and the presents, even though they were homemade, they were just as festive as, as they ever had been. And then Rachel noticed that among the gifts, there was one small velvet box. And Rachel knew that a box like that would not contain anything homemade. She looked at it suspiciously. And then her father said, open it. It's your Christmas present. So Rachel unwrapped the present and she found there a brand new pair of 24 karat gold earrings. She says that she was surprised and, 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 and that's really an understatement. And her father said, come on, put them on. They're yours. So she ran to the bathroom and she closed the door and and put the earrings on her ears. And and then she looked in the mirror. And something sad happened. You see, all Rachel, remember she's 13 years old here. It's an awkward time. It's a hard time for some people. And, And all Rachel could see was how absurd these expensive earrings looked on her homely face. And with tears rushing down her cheeks, she, she came running out of the bathroom, went straight to her father and, she, and shrieked, How could you do this? Why are you making fun of me? Take them back. You look, they look stupid. I'm, I'm too ugly to wear them. How could you waste all of that money? And she flung the earrings to the floor and, and burst into tears. And, and all the while her dad said nothing. 
And then he came to her, pulled her into his embrace, cuddled with her, and said, I know that they may not look right right now, but I bought them because someday they will see, they will suit you perfectly and they will be beautiful on you, your beautiful face. Rachel says, I am truly grateful to have survived my adolescence. Aren't we all? She said, at some of its lowest moments, I would get that box and just look at those earrings. My father had spent $100 that he didn't have because he believed in the person I was becoming. Not the person I was, but the person I was becoming. It was something I could hold on to, she said. Young Rachel was comforted by those new earrings because they symbolized her father's love for her. And of course, that's the meaning of Christmas, isn't it? God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son. My friends, Christ came to us not because we deserve it. Not because He approves of everything that we are or everything that we have done. No, that's not it at all. He came to us because of His Father's great love for us. So I want you to do me a favor. Take a few moments this Christmas to listen to those opening lines of Handel's Messiah. As a matter of fact, we will hear it as we leave today. I've asked Rudy to, uh, to, to play it in a little bit as we leave after our postlude. But listen as the, the tenor sets the mood for the whole piece. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry, to, cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. And then continue to listen as he sings, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Then listen as he moves into a brief aria, Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked straight and the rough places made plain. And then you will hear the entire chorus, the entire choir break in that glorious refrain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. What good news to all of us who have ever needed to be forgiven. Comfort, my people. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. The Lord has spoken it. Amen. Let us sing together. Have thine own way, Lord. Number 493. And that is our prayer for all of our lives, that we would give our lives to God and that God would have God's way with our lives, directing our lives as God becomes not only someone that we admire, but someone that we follow. Let us say.
loving self to us this day. We give you thanks. We have been blessed with your presence and comforted by your forgiveness. Now send us forth in the power of your Holy Spirit. Fan into flames the gifts of service that you have given to us. Reveal your grace and your truth to us each day. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.